Welcome to Poetry Spotlight, presented by the Ohio Poetry Association. I am your host, Jeremy Jusek, and with us today is Wendy McVickers. Wendy is a rogue poet, having bucked academia in favor of a lifetime of curiosity, reading, and writing. She studied philosophy and taught English in Switzerland. She learned French, had a family, and began publishing poetry in the 1980s. She became a teaching artist for the Ohio Arts Council and began hosting workshops and readings. She's authored five or six books and was named Poet Laureate of Athens, Ohio in 2020. Wendy, thank you so much for joining us. Jeremy, thank you for inviting me. I truly feel honored to be here. It is an honor to have you. Could you please start us with a poem? Sure, I'll start you with a poem. And because it has been Earth Day recently, um, and because when I became Poet Laureate, I thought I was going to be spending a lot of time um, helping people to plant trees uh, and then the pandemic hit and we couldn't get together and do things. Uh, and I am, you can't tell here, but I'm a very small person and not liable to go planting trees all by myself. Um, but I think a lot about trees and I like spending time with trees. And I thought I would read a poem called The Names of Trees. My father taught me the names of trees and those I've never forgotten. Trees of the Eastern forest, maple, oak, tulip, poplar, locust, spruce, copper beech. New names fly through my head like migrating birds, here for a moment, gone. But not pawpaw or catapa, not redbud with its purple beads yielding to heart-shaped leaves in spring, an autumn olive, a pest in these fields, their silvery leaves like whispered dreams. My first poem after years of silence celebrated an autumn olive I saw on the wide plains. We were both transplants, putting down roots. That tree's quiet beauty sang to me and with my unused voice, I sang back. It's a beautiful so that poem. sort of hits a gazillion themes in my life. <laughs> <laughs> are you, are you, in, how, how environmentally minded are you? Like, well, I'll tell you. Um, my father did teach me the names of trees and birds, and he tried to teach me about stars, but I was very nearsighted and could never see what he was pointing at. It took me decades to realize that that was why I couldn't see those constellations. Um, and so love of the natural world has been part of my life since I was a very small child. Um, I remember <laughs> I remember listening to Jim Morrison when I was a teenager sing, what have they done to the earth? What have they done to our fair sister? Ravaged and plundered and something and bit her, stuck her with knives in the side of the dawn, tied her with fences and dragged her down. And that really spoke to me because I felt very much that the earth was being mistreated by the people on it. And I think that it also got, um, it got tied up with feminism for me um, because nature is almost all, is often perceived as female, mother nature, mother earth. And um, 
it has seemed over the centuries that the uh, the ways that people want to control and manage her seem not terribly distant from the ways that traditionally men have wanted to control and manage women, um, have wanted to smooth their wildness and so forth. And so I would say this is a lifelong thing. And, um, you know, I try to do what I can in my small way. I mean, we each can do what we, what we can in our small way to, to be mindful of this and to take care of the corners of the earth that I find myself on. Sure. Yeah. And it, it, listening to your podcast, it's very evident that you do have an interest in the environment and ecology. And that, that's kind of why I asked you about your background to it. Just fascinating to hear. Um, do you find that it comes out, you know, forgive the pun naturally, or is it more <laughs> of a, <laughs> you know, do you, is it something that you know, you feel the hurt first and then you write or is it just ingrained in your work? Well, that's, that is a really good question because, you know, this is the whole chicken and egg thing, isn't it? You know, what <laughs> it is. um, I remember writing a poem early on from a photograph. So people talk a lot, a lot about ekphrastic poetry these days. And um, that has always been interesting to me, you know, to, uh, to enter a picture, for example, I know that with ekphrastic work, it, it can be any art form responding to any other art form. But we we poets tend to think of it as responding to pictures, and um, that that has always been very interesting to me. And I love old photographs. And I remember years ago finding a photograph of myself as a small child on a tricycle in front of my childhood home. And there were things in that picture that I, so the in the poem, I'm responding to the fact that there are things in that picture that I were not in my memory. Um, I mean, I remember that home, but I remember it from later on. I didn't remember, remember it from that early age when it was still a relatively new house in a relatively new development, you know, one of these post-war developments. And at the end of the, so I'm talking about the things that I see that I don't remember. And one of the things, the ending came to me as one of those gifts that the poetry gods give you on occasion, um, where I said, um, I was, you know, I was, looking at the rough foundation, the rough foundations of the house, you know, be houses before, you know, all the flower beds were planted and the, or the grass, you know, the neat grass came up to the foundation. And I said something to the effect that um, it was, you know, the earth was lapping at the foundations like a beast exiled by our calling this home. And to me, first of all, that felt like a kind of gift as an ending for that poem. But it also brought to my attention. See, I think this is one of the reasons we write. We learn things that we don't know that we know, right? It brought to my attention that concern for the fact that we humans go rampaging about the earth claiming it. And there are 
many, many other beings on the planet um, that that we need, we actually, that we're not thinking about when we do that. We're, you know, we're taking away their habitat. We're taking away their means of nourishment. And we're, because we're doing what we want to do. <laughs> and so, so I guess it is pretty ingrained. It's pretty ingrained in me. And then it seems to be pretty ingrained in the work. Okay. That's inter- that's, that's really cool. Now, <clears throat> So you, your collaboration history, because you talked about ekphrastic work, you've collaborated with all sorts of people, artists, dancers, musicians, um, you, and you even read with an instrumentalist sometimes, uh, which I, I think is super cool. <laughs> yeah. So where does, where does the cross-discipline love come from? And, you know, how have, how has it matured over time? What a wonderful question. So it, I think it comes from the fact that, um, I have been in, involved in other arts um, when I was when I was a kid. I loved acting and being involved in theater things. So I, you know, I was always in the drama club in school. But then I'm going to put this out there. Then I was. <laughs> I was blackballed by a teacher who was envious of another teacher who had a new teacher who had come to our school and also was wanting to put on plays. And the the uh, the older teacher said to me, if you act in a play put on by that teacher, you will never act on the on the stage at the school again. (laughs) And I always say, you know. I was blackballed from the the thespians (laughs) in high school. And that's just sort of, it's like, okay, that's that, you know, that's, that's that. So that that was the end of what I'm sure would have been a grand theater career. (laughs) (laughs) I always liked to sing and I sang in choirs in high school and college. And, um, and I started to dance, uh, not as, as young as I would have liked to. I always wanted I was envious of my friends who were able to take dance classes and that was not an option for me until I went to college. And I went to a very liberal liberal arts, small liberal arts college and there were no uh, requirements outside of your major. And no, so no phys ed requirements, um, which suited me just fine, except that I wanted to move. I knew that it was good for me to do something besides sit at a desk and read and write all the time. And, and I had always wanted to study dance. So I started taking dance classes and I took more and more classes every semester. <laughs> and then when I lived in French speaking Switzerland, I could, you know, continued to take classes and I got to dance with a small company there and Um, I think, you know, it was just, it was another language. It was another language. And so from that kind of background, before I really, I got into poetry as a, as a grown-up person, I wrote poetry in elementary school, but, uh, and I wrote what I later learned were prose poems in high school. Uh, I let all that go for a while. And when I came back to it, it just seemed a natural thing to be uh, interested or to connect with other artists. And um, 
and kind of give poems another, you know, another dimension or multiple dimensions. And the first time I approached Emily Prince, who's the inter the instrumentalist who plays with me sometimes, was because I was asked to do a reading and I was like, you know what, I'm kind of tired of listening to my own voice. (laughs) (laughs) I want something else to listen to. And so I asked her if she would play with me. I had heard, (laughs) talk about exalted models. I had heard um, Coleman Barks read with, I see, I should have looked this up. Now I don't remember the name of the cellist. I think it was a cellist who played with him. And I thought, man, okay. <laughs> and actually back in the day, I heard Allen Ginsberg, you know, with, with jazz musicians. But um, That's awesome. Did you ever hear him do Howl? Do you know what? This is a terrible thing to say, but I do not remember what he did. That's okay. how that's partly because it was a long time ago and partly because I don't have a great auditory memory, um, mm-hmm. which is probably, which probably would have also derailed my theater career. <laughs> <laughs> That's tough to memorize with a bad memory. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so anyway, um, I thought, all right, yes, let's put some sound to the, to these poems. And so we experimented with different instruments. And actually at this point, she she accompanies me on a ukulele, which seems just right. And uh, I heard once that that word ukulele in Hawaiian means, ah, oh, let me get this right. Mm, seed something, flower, flower. And that in itself seems like a poem. Okay. Okay. I I heard, and and this is like hearsay from who knows where even, but I heard it was, uh, the the, the name translates to like jumping flea, like a flea kind of like light and springy that's that's kind of across the strings. But again, who knows where I heard it or if it's probably not even right. (laughs) Well, when you think of the last two syllables of that word, lele, and you think of a le, which is a, a necklace of flowers that you um, that you're give you know that you're given in Hawaii as a welcome um, that seemed like a connection to me, but I don't know for sure. I mean, sure. we read all kinds of things, don't we, and we don't necessarily we can't necessarily rely on them. yeah, especially because like a lot of stuff like this can can be hearsay. It's like, oh, I picked this up from an right. internet forum, who knows right. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> well, that, that's so cool that you have all these outlets because that gives you, because the creative mind craves like a connection to an, mm-hmm. to its audience, right? Like that's the foundational motivation for it. And this gives you so many avenues to connect with people. Yes, I, I, I think you're right. And I think the creative mind also craves um, nourishment, you know, um, and I feel that I, you know, my muse, who can be very fickle and who likes one thing one week and a different thing another week, um, really is nourished by collaboration with people who are who are trying to do the same thing that I'm doing, but with different instruments, you know, different media. Okay. All right. And and so do you think that your muse is 
like a dog chasing cars? It like it's a lot of things are interesting and it just goes after what's immediately in front of it. Or do you think your muse is more of like a custodian or like a librarian where it's it's curating stuff and, and putting it away and shelving it neatly? Oh, wow. That is such a that is a great question. <laughs> so I've been thinking of my muse as a dragonfly lately. Okay. So very bright. Um, it darts in and darts away again. So I used to, as a young person, I always wanted to be a writer growing up. But as a young person, I felt like my way of being in the world was not the way real writers were. Um, for one thing, so I was growing up at a time when I suppose the, the writers that the right, a lot of the writers that were active and that were brought to my attention were the beats. And so here were all these guys. They were guys, first of all. They were often hard drinking guys and they did things like hold themselves up as fire watchers in, you know, Western forests in order to write. The, um, they worked jobs like longshoremen. <laughs> and, uh, you know, none of this seemed available to me. Even, you know, the hitchhiking across the country, are you kidding? <laughs> just, you know, the world, that just didn't, didn't seem like, that didn't seem a possible life path for me. And I thought, well, therefore, I guess I can't be a writer. I didn't know another way of being a writer. So wait a minute, I rambled on. Oh, I'm trying to remember what your question was. At this point, I'm so sorry. No, that's okay. It's 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 morphed into a, into a different... Um, so I guess... The, oh, the dragonfly, that's what it the was. The dragonfly, yeah. So going these back to men, a lot of these men, it seemed, um, presented a model of, okay, they did a lot of hard drinking and hard living, but then they would sit down and they would write for six or eight hours, you know, and turn out work. Well, well, aside from the fact that my life has never felt like it would allow me that much time at once, you know, in chunks, I realized that it's, I don't work that way. I need, I need to go to the page, get things on the page, and then go away from the page for a while and let that do whatever it does, you know, some alchemy happens on the page and maybe in my mind while I'm walking in the woods or cooking something, you know, and then I can come back to it and, you know, do things to it. Um, so that's why I say more, more like a dragonfly than, so I wouldn't call it like a distract, I wouldn't say a distractible dog necessarily. Mm-hmm. That that's um, what mine's like, to be honest. <laughs> okay. All right. That's, yes. I can I, yes, I can see that. And I think and in a way that um being interested in lots of different things is part of it. You know, oh look, here's something here. Oh, and then there's something sweet over there, and oh, there's something over there too. Um, yes, exactly. <laughs> like, oh, it's so shiny. I need to see what it is. Yes. Well, Yes, exactly. Yes, of course, of course. And so then what I hope we can do with this inattent or with this um, 
fragmented attention is that we we go in and we see this shiny thing and we get some of it down on paper and then, oh, there's another shiny thing over there. Oh, I'm going to get that one down on paper and this other one. And later we can come back and see either, you know, maybe these things can be connected in interesting ways, or maybe I can dive deeper into this one um, and see where it takes me. That's, that's what I always hope will happen. And that I'm not just ending up with a lot of wasting paper and trees. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think that there's a lot of advice given to new writers. It's like, you need to read, you need to write. And those are true. Those are yeah. absolutely of true. Of course. Yes. But I think one of the things that they don't tell you is you need to not like read how-to writing books and you need to just figure out what works for you because not everybody's the same. Yes. And I taught, I taught writing classes for four years at Washington State and I've done a bunch of workshops. I've been doing a workshop since 2015. And the things that I've learned doing that is that there is absolutely no one size fits all program and there's right. not even really a custom one size fits all like you can't like pitch a th- an adaptable program of any kind because someone will break it like there's yeah. always a yeah. different personality there's always a different way of doing things and people will get agitated and frustrated if they can't do it their way yes and, yeah. and the only thing that matters is producing. Like you just have to write. That's all. Exactly. It, that's exactly right. And I think that for me with teaching earlier on, I was very concerned to pass on certain things. Um, and over the years, I've, I've begun to feel that really what I am doing is offering um, is giving permission to people to do it. You know, people, people really just need permission and, uh, and some encouragement. And of course, then they want to, they, maybe they want, they want to learn some craft things, um, or they want to share their work. Uh, but the original thing is to just say, do it. And not just say do it, because it's easy to say do it, but to somehow um, create a space and an atmosphere where that is possible. Yeah, and that's 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 a kind that's a kind of answer that comes from a veteran who's been around for a while. (laughs) No, I'm serious. That's a good that's a that's really that's insightful for me. (laughs) I imagine Uh. people listening. so, so actually going to encouragement and outreach, let's talk about you being poet laureate of Athens, which is really cool. Oh my gosh. <laughs> the whole poet laureate thing, huh? I mean, you're yeah. doing it too. <laughs> Absolutely. So let's talk about that. You okay. are, um, you got a whole bunch of ongoing projects. Talk about your projects. Talk about, you know, what you've done with your time and what you hope to accomplish still with your tenure left. Oh, all right. Well, it's very kind of you to ask. So it's been strange. I was named Poet Laureate of Athens at, toward the end of February 2020. Okay. And we all know what happened in March. Yeah, you had like three weeks to enjoy it. That's a- right, right. And I, and I had several meetings with people about tree planting Um there were, you know, sustaining the sustainability people at the university were working with some people in the city about um, getting pollinator gardens and trees plant, planted 
Um, there were all these things that were going to happen in April of that year, you know, the week of um, Earth Day. Um, I also talked a bit to the um, to the libraries about tree planting, and then all that stopped. You know, it's it's hard to remember sometimes how terrified we were in the beginning about being around other people. You know, we had no idea how this mysterious virus was being spread. I remember one time stopping my car because I saw a neighbor and he came and leaned in the window and I was terrified for days, <laughs> you know, that, oh my gosh, what if he breathed this killer virus onto me? You know, at that time it was a killer virus. I mean, it still can be. Um, I mean, we were hearing horrible stories and seeing horrible things on the news about people being on, you know, ventilators and isolated and just all that awful stuff. So I think, so being around people was no longer an option. Going to my regular, the places where I move was, that was always around people. I couldn't do that anymore. So I, being, being that I have to move, I was doing lots of walking in my neighborhood. One of the things I noticed in my neighborhood was that People were using the sidewalk to communicate with one another. So birthday messages would appear in front of somebody's house, um, chalked on the sidewalk. And some, some people in my neighborhood were, put, were making treasure hunts on the sidewalk. So you'd have, apparently an adult would write the questions, but the, or the, hint, the clues, and then a child would illustrate them. You know, can you find a nest in a nearby tree? Do you, do you see an, can you find an orange cat? You know, that kind of thing. And I thought the sidewalk is a wonderful way to communicate. Sidewalks connect us. And um, at that time, they were, they were, <laughs> that's where everybody was. If they, they were out, they were on the sidewalk. So one of the early things I did was start chalking poems on the sidewalk in front of my house. And then posting them on Facebook, I would like to say that I still really dislike having to deal with Facebook. <laughs> but my spouse, who is my tech support, set up a Facebook page, Athens Poet Laureate, for so that I could at least connect that way with people since we couldn't be together. Uh, I was asked very early on in so I put pictures of these chalked poems up on Facebook. And then I was asked early on to start recording a poem every week. Um, the Arts West is our municipal arts center here. And the director asked me if I would record a poem. She said, we need your voice and we need poems would you do this and I said well okay I'll do it during poetry month and then we'll see what happens <laughs> you know as you said this is only going to last three weeks right, right. <laughs> and, uh, and I am still doing that because it really comforts me to find poems that I think will speak to people um, in a time of confusion which we're still in and I really I enjoy recording them and those go up every Monday morning. We call them silver linings poems. <laughs> so those are up on on Facebook 
every Monday morning. And then again, tech support here has very kindly set up a YouTube channel, which where you can find all these poems. Right. Um, <laughs> I've been dragged kicking and screaming into the 21st century. Um, <laughs> but you know, you and I would not could not have this conversation if it weren't for all this fabulous technology. So I'm not complaining. No, I, I know I've said it on the podcast before that this podcast would not have been possible without COVID. And as much as COVID yeah. was a pain and as mo- much as COVID has caused everybody personal grief mm-hmm. from the, the mildly irritated to the, to the fatal, yes. it, it's, it, it, it has allowed other developments. And, and I, when I approached when I approach the OPA, a lot of the OPA is still centralized in Columbus because mm-hmm. bef- it's mm-hmm. only been recent that we've that the management team has been able to have meetings over Zoom because right. everybody was forced to have Zoom. And that forced adoption really changed the whole landscape. Oh, I think you're absolutely right. And see, I think that is our silver lining. You know, our co- as you say, this is our COVID silver lining. Um, mm-hmm. I know that one of the things that... Uh, you wanted you wanted to talk about was um, the expanding the community of poetry in Ohio, mm-hmm. and it feels I believe that in the past couple of years through Zoom that has been happening. So um, there's the conference. There's the conference that's going to happen at the end of June. Yes, I'm always trying to. It's what is it the the NFSPS conference. And it is for people listening, June 23rd to the 26th. You can sign up up until May 26th, I believe, which is the last Thursday of May. Sign up. That's my pitch. Yes. So you have to go to the Ohio Poetry Association site to do that. Is that right? There, there is. And, and there's going to be like a little ad that we put a promo that goes at the beginning of the episode up until the 26th. Right. Right. So... It's going to be a big conference and and a lot of some of that conference is online. So even if you're not able to physically attend, there are still activities and readings and things that are happening remotely. Exactly. And so I feel it feels really fortuitous that this I think is the first live one since, you know, conference since 2019, that it should be happening in Ohio at this moment when so many Ohio poets have come to know each other in quotes um, through Zoom because you know I felt that at the beginning of the pandemic it seemed like writers just took to it, took to Zoom yeah. um, because I suppose because we were desperate to, to see and hear one another and to you know to keep hearing people's work to keep our work out there and I feel I know that I have. Um, that I feel much more connected to poets in other parts of the state um, than I did before, just by virtue of this, of having these conversations, going to open mics. So another thing that happened here in Athens is that um, a regular open mic got going (laughs) right at the beginning of the pandemic. And um, it brings people in from, from, all over the world, actually. And I know that that's not unique to this, to our open mic, that this happens at other open mics as well. That, um, in fact, the, the recent OPA open mic had somebody there from the UK. And, uh, you know, people, we, we, I feel the poetry community really being enlivened 
and strengthened by, you know, by this, these virtual connections. And then of course, we feel motivated to go out and see one another in person, because of course, that's what we like best. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. And, and I think that it's also helping writers get a, a network that yes, exactly. is, is just a lot wider than usual. I mean, I've met people from Kentucky and Virginia, and I've participated in readings from like all over the country. And it's not because I drove to those places. Right. Like, right. I've got two young kids. It is extremely difficult. There are a lot of writing exactly. events in person in Ohio that I wanted to go to and like a kid gets sick or, you know, just stuff that life happens, but life, life happens. Zoom offers a great safety net. It does. It does. And I guess I should say that um, another project that's been important to me is doing exactly what you're doing. These podcasts, um, I call mine River of Words, and <laughs> and I do it through uh, WOUB, which is the public radio station here in Athens at Ohio University. And so WOUB, River of Words, it's easy to find. And, and what I've wanted to do is um, showcase the the poets that are hidden in the nooks and crannies around Athens County, you know, or in our area, because, um, yeah, because there are lots around here. And I, what I've, what I've done is I've talked with people from, you know, this corner of Southeastern Ohio. Um, and there's a wonderful variety. And I have to say, that included among those poets is the Ohio State Poet Laureate. Yes, <laughs> Gary Gunter Seymour. <laughs> That's exactly right. So, you know, it, so there's, you know, there's a lively poetry life going on here. When I first came to Athens, it felt like the, the, the lit world was really dominated by the, by the academy. Um, but for various reasons, reaching out on both sides, you know, town and gown, uh, connections have been made. That has opened up a great deal. So now we have this wonderful variety. You know, there are open mic op opportunities. The university offers us the literary festival every spring. So there's just this great variety of lively poetry going on. Yeah, it's true. And that was one of the things, you know, Parma is the seventh largest city in Ohio. And that includes Cleveland, which it is part of the metro area of. So it's yeah, it's right. a massive group of people. And I was floored that there was just zero infrastructure here. Yeah. You know, and, and there there are there are some poets, but people don't know who they are. So like I think podcasts like these, I'm so glad you mentioned the podcast because I did want to mention talk about the podcast. First of all, I'm thrilled that there's someone else doing something similar because I think it's I think it's great. Likewise, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it was really fun to to find you and find your podcast. I do recommend River of Words. It is a it's a great it's another conversational piece with with other writers and Mark Halliday. He was one of the first Ohio writers that I knew about. He was one of the first cool. like regional writers that I studied in grad school when I was like looking through. Because you, you start with the big ones like Philip Levine and, you, you know, you go to like the big Lynn Emanuel, you go to like the big modernists and then you start, you know, focusing. And so he was the first like local guy I really knew about. So his his interview was spectacular. Um, now, you had said, I don't want to derail this too much, but you had said that you had an episode with Stephanie Kendrick and yes. you had mentioned something about how 
you first started writing quote unquote, like adult poetry mm-hmm. when you found stability in your life. Mm. And I was really hoping you guys would talk about that more. And then the conversation went. So I want to ask you about oh, that, ask you about that. And, and because I think it goes to the heart of your craft, like finding stability, where do you think it happened and, mm. and how did you follow it? Wow. I don't even remember saying that. That's so, so interesting. Um, but thank you for asking. Thank or and thank you for asking. So I had lived in Switzerland for about seven years. Our with my husband, our first child was born over there. And then we came back to the States. And one of the things that was really incredible to me was being immersed in my native language again. Um, I became quite fluent in French. I always like to say I managed to give birth in French. So I think that's pretty, that tells you. (laughs) 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 I'm actually working on some, doing some translating work at at the moment, French to English. So my French is pretty good, but I never, ever, I don't think I could ever know French the way I know English. You know, English is in the marrow of my bones. And I sometimes like to say that I that writing poetry, starting to write poetry at that time was a way of making love to the English language. You know, (laughs) I really it feels that way. But so but there we were. We were living in Kansas. My husband was in grad school. We had our second child. We were I um I had nap time. I had this urge to write. I had this urge to write. I had this urge to play with language. Um, I had this urge to to try to process things that have been going on in my life. And what I had was nap time to write in. And I used to say, that's why I started writing poems, because I could at least sketch out a poem in in the space of nap time. I couldn't there's nothing, I could never do a story that, you know, I couldn't sketch out a story or start a novel. It would, I mean, I, I couldn't do that. What I realized later was, even if I had all the time in the world, I couldn't do that probably because um, that's not the way my imagination works. It works very imagistically. It likes to leap around. Um, I'm not, I can, um, I love story, but I'm not really a narrative poet. Um, and so, uh, and so there you have it. So maybe that was the question. It was stability. I was married. I had children. I was grounded on the earth in my, on, you know, in my, uh, native land, if you like. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I had these moments of quiet. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that's 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 very interesting. And I like I love hearing guests talk about other languages and what they do with it, because like, did you write poetry in French? You know, I wasn't writing poetry back in those days. OK, um, I did. I did journal in French. Um, and. And it's an interesting, you know, I know that there's a whole, you know, lots of people write poetry in a language not their own. Um, I have not yet been particularly drawn to that. Although I'll tell you what, if I went 
back into the French. What I've noticed visiting the French speaking world is when I'm immersed in French, um, my English falls apart. So it's a terrible thing. I end up with fractured French and fractured English, and it becomes hard to think in English. So maybe if I stayed there long enough, I would inevitably have to start writing poetry in French. I wouldn't uh, vouch for its quality, however. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. That's interesting. Um, and and what, what's it like working on the podcast? How do you, how's the project gone? And, and how do you feel talking to guests? Because it's, how does it feel also? How's it feel to be on the other side of it? <laughs> well, I'll tell you, it's less nerve wracking for me to be the guest than to be the host. So I, I send you kudos for what you're doing here today. Um, I really do enjoy it, though. Um, I am always interested in hearing, you know, about people's journey as as writers. And as you say, it that points up what you said earlier about, you know, every, everyone works differently. Uh, there's no one size fits all. So it's fascinating to me to hear these individual journeys. And, and it's really important to me to try to bring attention to these writers who are, who are, all, who are hidden away. I mean, if they were out in the open all the time, they would have no time to write, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and so when they, and many, you know, they have, everybody's poetry is a little different and that is interesting too. And I just, I guess I'm hoping that people will find these and will, um, will find poets that they don't know, perhaps, um, that really speak to them and will be led then to search further. Uh, thus, we all, you know, contribute to um, deepening and enriching the, our, you know, the poetry life of our communities. That's what I hope will happen. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think that does happen. I think that people benefit that you know people that listen because even if people may have heard about an author they're like oh you know i i know wendy mcvicker i i think i've seen that in a, in a bookstore multiple times you know but it's you're in kroger <laughs> <laughs> right oh yeah just a frequent haunt you know she, she walks her dog every day we, I, I see wendy <laughs> of course i know wendy but it's it's different to give a platform where people can talk about themselves and be like yeah, I got some books, but also here's what inspired those books or just here, here's my personality. Yes. I am now a human to you. And I think that's important. I think it is too. And I, and I, I think that, um, yeah, people just find it, it enhances people. It always enhances my reading to hear the poet talk about how he or she goes about their work, you know, um, and to hear them and hear the poems in their voice, that's, I, I like that too. I, I, you know, I, I don't think poetry is meant to sit on a page. Um, it needs to get up and have some dimension. Yeah. Okay. So there you have it. So another thing we do, and this actually predates the, my stint as poet laureate. Um, but I've been involved in a poetry conversation on WOUB called well, conversations from Studio B, they have this feature, conversations from Studio B, local people come and talk about stuff. And mm -hmm. the poetry show has been going on for 
decades now, I think. And we've recorded more of them during the pandemic. We used to go to the studio and record one once a month. And we've been recording them every couple of weeks just because here we are. What else are we going to do? We <laughs> read poetry and talk about it and, and connect with each other, you know. Um, and so there are tons of those up on WOUB too, on the WOUB website. Um, and I, and I, it has come early on. I used to hope nobody was listening because I was always afraid I was going to say something really stupid. <laughs> <laughs> now, if I say something really stupid, oh, well, maybe it will make somebody feel better. I would have said something smarter than that. You know, um, yeah. I don't mind anymore. And I love it when people say, oh, I heard you on the radio. Um, there are three other poets local poets who join me, um, Bonnie Proudfoot, Yvars Bockets, and Albert Rousey, who's also a songwriter. And um, we just bring poems. Sometimes we have a theme. Sometimes we just bring whatever, you know, whatever's crossed the desk. And we read bunches of poems and talk about them a little bit. And that, that feels like also a way of offering poetry to our community. Sure. Sure. That, that's excellent. And I think it's really cool that you're, you partnered with the local radio station. That's a really good idea. It's wonderful because believe me, I don't, they have the equipment and the technological skills <laughs> to make all this happen <laughs> with very few glitches. You know, there are times when um, somebody drops a book and makes a horrible sound or uh, you know, the, so one person's sound gets dropped, but our engineer, our peerless engineer, Adam Rich, can always, you know, make it seamless. Yeah, yeah, that 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 kind of support is would be <laughs> it would be cool. <laughs> Who knows, Jeremy? Who knows? There's still time, you know. Yeah, yeah, because it, it does take a long time to produce, like like starting from the beginning going from like the outreach part all mm -hmm. the way to finishing the editing. That's, oh, that's, yes. that's time. That's it's a lot time. Of time. <laughs> well, and it's not only that. When I say there's still time, I also mean time to find the avenues to, you know, that, that will open up to help you share work in the world. Yeah. And, and to that end, if there are any local radio stations listening, I would be happy to send you my content. That's <laughs> yeah. I mean, there, there's no telling yeah. what might be up there. Yep. You're a, a richly populated corner of the state. That's true. And the, the poets that we represent come from all over the state. Like the goal is to make sure that people know about these people. Exactly. Yeah. Yay. I do have one final question. Okay. How many extra toes does your cat have? I know you talked about walking dogs and I thought my cat would be so offended if, if a dog <laughs> were not that. mentioned. <laughs> <laughs> Just this morning I was uh, uh, as I was opening the shades I saw a a dog walker going by and I realized that the cat too was watching the dog walker and she had that look of alarmed attention <laughs> she always gets when there's a dog anywhere near her space sure. so she's a Hemingway cat um and that means she has it's sometimes known as a mitten cat she has thumbs on her forepaws and um she actually has extra toes on her rear paws too so I've I was just telling her about this last night I saw your question and I said Dora 
you are a real mutant because you have extra toes on all your paws. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess it is, it is a mutation, you know, these extra toes. Yeah. They were prized by, um, they were prized on ships, these Hemingway cats, because they're good climbers and good hunters. Well, that's interesting. Having those thumbs, you know, it's very useful, a thumb. <laughs> I've heard. Sorry, I've heard. I've... Yes, of course you have. I remember. I remember actually that that might be like one of the first biology facts I ever absorbed because they always tell you that in early, like That's elementary right. school. The opposable thumb thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I have a picture of the cat. She uh, sitting on my notebook with the pen. The pen happened to be on the notebook too, and she situated herself in such a way that she looks like she's getting ready to write something, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> which I'm very glad she can't do that because I would be afraid to see what she would choose to write. <laughs> do you ever like slide the pen in and try to take a, a photo? Like she's, <laughs> she's out of desk. I don't have to do that. I don't have to do it. She, she does it herself. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. All right. Would you like to take us out with a poem? I would be glad to, I will read something from Zero Adore, which is the book that came out in 2021 from the Orchard Street Press. Um, and the last poem in that collection is Z is for Zero. And it starts with words by Anne Carson. Z is for Zero, derived from the Sanskrit word meaning empty, clear, Nothing more to fear. Anne Carson. Zero, a door we walk through into clarity. A round door, a cave opening, darkness. Why do we picture nothingness as dark? It is just as likely to be full of light. Darkness is our metaphor for death, but there are stories and stories of people meeting light at the end. Zero a lantern, a painter's lamp, lighting the way, or blinding us with its glare. Zero a hoop, children rolled with a stick a century or more ago. A stick and zero, the number 10. Computer code, Jack Spratt and his wife. Every morning, I walk through zero and into the world. Wonderful, thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much, Jeremy. All right. Well, this has been Poetry Spotlight, a production of the Ohio Poetry Association. Please follow the OPA on Twitter at Ohio Poetry and on Facebook at facebook.com slash Ohio Poetry. A transcript of this episode can be found on the OPA blog. Visit ohiopoetryassociation.org for more information. And Wendy, thank you so much for coming in. Thank you, Jeremy. It has been a treat. Mm -hmm.